Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. It is my responsibility here, given that you've invested time in the show, and I deeply appreciate it, to give you a wide variety of perspectives on what is going on in Ukraine and Russia. We are not doing the propaganda trap. I've said it now for three straight days. Now, I'm going to give you the bad news up front. I'm going to give you the good news. And I've got a lot more to get to as well, including what's happening here at home, where liberty's at risk here as well. Not thank the Lord from a foreign attack or incursion, but from within. And we're not going to forget about those problems either. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Let's get right to it. Um, I've also got a bunch of video, some out of um, a North Texas college, which is so deeply disturbing. And... Um, will help you refocus that, yeah, we'd only have issues in, with liberty and freedom around the world, but here at home as well. Some of the most disturbing stuff I've seen in a long time. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. Comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to four hundred dollars, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. All right, Joe, let's go. Let's go, Dano. Yeah, a lot of... St- <laughs> here she is. I know, you're dealing with a lot, too. Eh? <laughs> These temperament of the show, folks, we're all over... It's just hard, man. We're going through such an emotional roller coaster right now. And one of the things that's particularly perplexing, given the uh, dire circumstances we're in right now, uh, you know, Russia trying to cause World War Three here, um, is the insanity of politicians here at home as well. Um, folks, and I, I, you know, I, I, I try not to use words loosely. When I say insanity, I mean it by the clinical definition. It's like you don't understand and relate um, cause and effect, consequence to behavior, operant principles don't seem to be working anymore. Uh, it's, it's almost like a psychopathology. What I don't understand about us here at home right now and some of the politicians here is we have a weapon that would involve us never firing one single shot where we could have basically cut off Putin from financial options of invading other countries because it costs money, right? Correct. This isn't complicated. It's not rocket science here. No, you have to buy beans and bullets and fuel and you have to build an army. Well, the globes finance that by seeding the petrochemicals market, the oil and gas market to Putin, which is probably the single dumbest decision We've made modern times foreign policy-wise. We're empowering the Iranians and the Russians. If you're scratching your head why, the answer is because we have morons here. We have morons here who are afraid of the green lobby here. Ted Cruz last night was on Fox. He brought up this exact point where he was talking to an energy executive. You know, Ted Cruz obviously be from Texas, obviously uh, from Texas, excuse me, that has a, a large energy industry. And the, the, uh, the energy uh, guy he's talking to is telling him, I don't get it. I don't understand why we don't take this option to cut off Russia and Iran and become the world supplier of energy rather than them. Check this out. I sat down with the former CEO of of Ukraine's largest natural gas company, and he he was talking about how Putin 
is counting on the fact that Europe is addicted to his gas and to his oil. And Putin believes no matter what he does, Europe needs that natural gas and oil. We need to impose a boycott on Russian oil and gas and replace it, replace it with American production. After this speech, I pulled the U.S. Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, aside and I said, listen, we have an opportunity. Texas can stand up and produce the natural gas. We can produce the oil. But the Biden administration has got to clear the export of liquid natural gas. And if we fill European demand, nothing will weaken Putin more than taking away his revenue. I'm sorry, he cites his conversation with the Ukrainian gas executive. But the point, the point is a strong one. There are no long-term losers to a strong domestic energy policy here. American jobs, American wealth, no Putin jobs, no Putin wealth, cut off the Iranians as well. Are we going to stop them from producing oil? But no, let them sell it to the Chinese Communist Party. Ice out the market, drive down the price of their gas because no one else wants to deal with them. There are no long-term losers here. It goes to show you, again, how I'm going to get to later, we have our own domestic problems here we have to focus on, too, or we're going to collapse because we're being eaten from the inside out like a cancerous rot by far-left radical nuts. Is that radical leftist nuts would rather see uh, Ukrainians be slaughtered and the death to America Iranians who throw gay people off buildings be enriched than the United States build a strong fuel and gas uh, industry. It's, it's in, it, I'm, tell me again. How it's not the textbook definition of freaking insane. It is nuts. There are so few things we could do where the consequences are minimal compared to the upside. The asymmetry here is obvious to anyone with a brain. Huge upside, tiny, tiny little downside. The left doesn't care. They'd rather us be dead. They'd rather us walk into World War III. It's, I mean, it's crazy. You, more evidence of this it, 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 absolute insanity. I mean it, the textbook definition. I'm not talking about the hyperbolic definition. I mean like psychopathological clinical insanity, just the news article. <sighs> My blood pressure's up already. I'm going to have a freaking heart attack, I swear. If I do, I love you all. Thanks for listening to the show. Guy and Paula can announce it on the show. Guy's like, please don't. I like this job. Yeah, I think he does. Don't. Joe seems to like it too. He's been here for, he hasn't quit yet, so... They, yeah, <laughs> he's like, I need my free liquid IV. What are you talking about? He doesn't even care about the way he's care about the liquid IV. On a serious note, just very frustrated, as you should be too. Just the news article, Aaron Kliegman. Amid the Ukraine crisis, the Biden administration is partnering with Russia to revive the Iran deal, thwarting U.S. opponents, says experts. So... You have the Iranian death to America crowd. No civil liberties in that country whatsoever. If you happen to be gay or don't practice their specific form of Islam, you're at risk, risk of being killed or tortured. You speak out against the government, you'll likely be decapitated. And yet the Biden administration is seeking a deal with them. Even worse, in case you think the clinical insanity is hyperbolic, we're asking the Russians, who've now invaded a sovereign country to their west and are now killing civilians and, and in some places indiscriminate bombing, we're asking the Russians to help us mediate it. And, and I mean, look, at, I mean, really, I know the, the, the goosebumps, you can see it if you're watching on Rumble. This is 
it's stuff is hard to talk about because I can't believe I really I'm I'm stunned that we exist and breathe the same oxygen as a class of people so stupid that they don't see what they're doing right now. It's just plain evil. U.S. jobs, U.S. wealth decrease the power of people who hate, hate civil liberties and attack sovereign countries or enrich our enemies and put the United States at risk of, uh, you know, nuclear war. Well, it's so irrational. No wonder you're frustrated. I'm frustrated. Everybody is. I, I mean, you and I are just normal working class schmoes, you know, who kind of made it into this space. We worked for a living. It's really hard for sane people to digest what's going on right now. And it's why I'm never going to forfeit the argument, no matter what happens in Ukraine, that we have serious problems here. Ukraine's facing opposition from the outside. Our opposition is from the inside, and the Russians understood that a long time ago. This guy is totally clueless in the White House right now. Even the Germans and the European left and the European Greens, who were to, traditionally to the left of the United States, have woken up to the fact that they better do a course correction, not here. Okay, let's do an update on what's going on in Ukraine. It is the, probably the most important topic right now. Let's do the bad news up front. I'll give you a variety of perspectives because I'm not falling for the propaganda and I can't stand simplistic solutions that could walk us into nuclear war and World War III. We are in a world right now of not good or bad, but bad or worse. The question is, what's the bad decision and what's the worst decision? There are no good decisions right now, okay? Putin's put us in a corner. Simplistic decisions are not happening. Here's the bad news. BBC reporting trying to use a variety of different sources, left, right, just to give you perspectives on what people are talking about. Uh, one of Ukraine's biggest cities, Kherson, is now fallen. The BBC reported on it. Russian troops take control of key city of Kherson. They say in a Facebook post, the mayor has indicated that the Russian city with a population of more than 280,000 people is under Russian control. Now, here's the insanity of all this, explaining to you again how we're in a position here of bad and worse. There are no good choices. Apparently, he urged the mayor, urged the Russian soldiers not to shoot at civilians and saying you have to tell them this. Please don't kill civilians, um, saying there were no Ukrainian forces in the city. The Russians had conditions, too. Here are the Russians conditions showing you how bad this has gotten. There'll be a strict, a strict curfew from twenty hundred hours to six hundred hours. They're only allowed to go out in groups of two at most. They were only allowing cars carrying food, medicine, and other supplies to enter the city, driving at minimum speed. The mayor says the Russian occupiers are in all parts of the city and are very dangerous. Uh, Excuse me, that was the head of the regional administration said that. Now, obviously, this is bad news. We're doing bad news up front, okay? But it's even worse news because there's a lot of talk out there that This is what surrender will look like. Listen, I'm just giving you all perspective so you can make informed decisions. I'm getting feedback on both sides, people furious that I dare to say what the other side's thinking. I'm not stopping. If the show's not for you, that's perfectly understandable. There are some trying to avoid nuclear war who are saying if the Russians handle the surrender of this city, Kursan, handle it without indiscriminate murdering of civilians that it creates a perplexing problem for Ukrainian citizens moving forward. 
What's that problem? Ladies and gentlemen, this war is not going to wrap up anytime soon. It's going to get ugly. And it's really bad for morale if it gets really ugly for Ukrainian citizens and the Russians try to paint a fairy tale picture of what Kherson looks like under surrender, giving the Ukrainians an option. Well, we don't have to do this if we would just surrender and maybe they'll leave us alone. Do you get where I'm going with that? Yeah. Russians are seeing this. The Russian forces as a propaganda opportunity. Oh, look, Kherson surrendered. We're not bothering anyone here. Wink and a nod. You understand? Others are saying heresy. Don't even report that. You report what it's going to look like under surrender. You're encouraging surrender. I'm not encouraging anything. I'm giving you the facts on the ground because this is real. We're living in a propaganda war as well as an actual physical kinetic war. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to come off as like angry. There's a very limited group of people who really, if it's not their propaganda, they're extremely upset you're discussing anything. Not doing it. Other shows can do that. I'm not doing that. Sorry. More bad news regarding the taking of Kursan. If you look at uh, this map in the New York Times, from the New York Times, which again, in a stunning act of journalism, put up a map, uh, Russia is clearly trying to ice Ukraine out of their Black Sea ports, which would make resupply from the south in Ukraine, as you can see on the map, uh, very, very difficult. It's not even if you don't see the map, you're listening on audio uh, only, it's understandable. Uh, Ukraine has obviously black sea ports where they could be resupplied, you know, bullets and beans, folks. It's about bullets and beans right now, feeding people and arming people. Right. Uh, it appears right now that Russia's takeover of the south could soon be complete, especially if they can connect the south uh, to the east as well, where they would basically ice Ukraine out from port access, meaning if they were going to be resupplied with bullets and beans, bullets and beans, that they'd have to be so largely from the east. And I'm going to get to that later in the show, while resupply from the east, from Poland and elsewhere, may not be as easy as we think. Well, they're friendlies. Some of them are intimidated, um, not necessarily the Poles, but some have been intimidated into doing it uh, because they believe it would invoke Article 5 and basically lead to nuclear war if they're, uh, if they're caught by the Russians, air quotes. No easy answers here. No easy answers. You're owed honesty. There are only bad and worse answers here. Another a piece of bad news out of Kursan. It's a city of 280,000 plus people. The resistance was, was strong. It was about six days, but it, it, it obviously wasn't effective. Again, this is a massive propaganda victory for Russians who are going to try to make this uh, the model for a look what happened. You resisted. You died for nothing. Bad news up front. There's some good news. Semi good. I showed you the map. That map is important. Another article. I seem, I believe, and I'll continue to insist based on the evidence I've seen that Putin's not acting rationally right now. There are other perspectives. Here is another one by Bill Roggio in the Daily Mail. You can read the article in the newsletter. I strongly encourage you to read it, even though he's, he has a different opinion than me. It's important you read everything. Everything you can get your hands on about this. The headline of the article in the Daily Mail is literally Putin is not crazy and the Russian invasion is not failing, which I agree with, by the way, the second part. The West delusions about this war and its failure to understand the enemy will prevent it from saving Ukraine. Bill Roggio, Daily Mail. Read the piece. He goes into this important component here. 
that yes, they may be stalled, the Russian invasion, but it's not failing in the traditional sense of a military failure. He seems to think Putin's acting rationally. That part I disagree with, but I owe you a different perspective. He says in this piece, it remains to be seen if Putin's plan will succeed or fail. But it's clear that the plan has been, that his plan to invade Ukraine has been executed since day one. Ukrainian troops are putting up a valiant fight, facing long odds and difficult conditions. But Russia holds most, if not all, of the advantages. He is 100% correct. It can and has attacked Ukraine from three different directions. Russia also has superiority in air, naval, and uh, armor. And all matters. It's like I said to you before, if they can connect their south to their north and then connect it to the eastern, uh, eastern supply lines from Russia, if the Russian forces in the north and the south can connect, those entering through the, uh, this apparent uh, Black Sea invasion that they're anticipating happening and then coming down from the north from Belarus and then from the east from Russia, you'll have basically cut off western from eastern Ukraine. Obviously creating an enormous problem for the Ukrainians whose country would be bisected. Imagine us being sliced in half uh, near Wisconsin. Be a big problem, no? Port access from New York. You know, food supply lines coming from Florida, 995, all cut off. Bill Roggio's article is, is, is it worth reading? But he seems, I, I think, again, just my opinions on a knock on this guy, and I appreciate his opinion. I think they're mistaking, again, the taking of Ukraine from the occupation of Ukraine. We're going to find that out in the coming days with Kherson, right? If Kherson falls and there's no resistance and the taking and the occupation led to not excessive casualties and the Russians don't have any problem occupying Kherson, then yes, I guess my theory of taking versus occupying is going to be proven wrong. Time will tell. I don't think it will. Taking Ukraine taking Kiev in the eastern part of the country and then occupying it long-term, I think is going to be fatal. I mean, you have to look at examples from the, the Russians. I mean, even though it's a long time ago, the Russian-Finnish war, the Winter War, you know, the Russians outnumbered the Finns dramatically and had a really, really hard time to the point where the Finns had to cede some land, but there was no Russian victory there either in the traditional sense. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. So just to kind of wrap up the bad news up front segment, giving you a full variety of perspectives on this ongoing crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, in the United States, we are a good country. Yes, we have our idiots here who want to destroy it from the inside out. But of a 330 million people, we have a really, really good, decent place full of entrepreneurial, patriotic, hardworking Americans. And I'm not willing to forfeit this place. And I can tell you that because I have the facts and the data to back it up. When the United States goes into urban warfare, like we did in Fallujah and Iraq and elsewhere, we don't indiscriminately level the city and kill babies and kids and teens and parents and seniors uh, because we want to make it easy on our troops. You can argue the efficacy of that or not. War is ugly. But we don't do it. 
United States putting our troops at great risk goes house to house to house. It doesn't level cities. This is a point noted in this Wall Street Journal piece in the opinion section, which is worth your time. Again, bad news up front here. Russia's assault on Ukraine cities. They show the difference right here. They say the U.S. doesn't fight this way in urban warfare, because leveling cities, that is, because of the risk of mass civilian casualties. Americans are willing to endure urban warfare, including higher casualties, to avoid killing innocents. They mentioned Fallujah. Mr. Putin doesn't mind Ukrainian casualties if he can avoid more Russian deaths. If Mr. Putin continues his campaign, the results will be gruesome and unlike anything most Europeans and Americans have witnessed. That is absolutely 100% accurate. People hold up in buildings expecting urban guerrilla warfare. If Putin unleashes a missile barrage and his Russian air force, folks, they are going to be in real trouble and playing that down and talking in comic book terms rather than real world terms will do nothing, will do nothing to advance the cause of uh, Ukrainian self-determination. Nothing. We don't do that. We are a good country of decent people. We don't kill women and children. Putin does not care. He is a savage. He is a savage. He has a potential to level that place, and they have to be prepared for that. Okay, that was a lot of bad news. I get it. Let's get it up front. The full spectrum here. Here's some good news. I've been doing a lot of homework on this convoy. I'm trying to figure out, like most, this convoy coming from the north down into Kiev. That's 10, 20 miles out of the city, depending on which, which intelligence you're reading. The Russian convoy, which has you know hundreds of vehicles in it, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of open questions. Why is it stalled? Why isn't it moving faster? Now, having read a lot of good intel and good reporting on it, there are big issues and small issues why this Russian convoy hasn't stormed into Kiev. Let's start with the small issues first. One intelligence stream I read, which was, I'm going to say intelligent, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, like I'm talking to, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing a lot of homework from accounts I've come to trust who seem to have good sources on the ground. One of the small issues they appear to be having is they did not maintain the Russian trucks. So the Russian trucks, which are obviously military trucks, which are very specific requirements for maintenance and tire maintenance, don't appear that they've been maintained. If you look at some of the pictures of the Russian trucks that were left behind in this convoy or just taken by Ukrainians, many of them, you'll notice the tires are all blown out. Was that because they shot them out? It doesn't look like the tires shredded in many cases. So there's been speculation on the small front, but not small in the bigger picture, that the Russian sheer lack of competence in maintaining their own equipment, when they finally used the equipment, they didn't maintain the tires the, the tires wound up shredding and filleting themselves probably because they weren't maintained the minute they used them, which creates a second problem. As Jack Keane mentioned on Fox yesterday, he mentioned two things with this Russian convoy. Number one, folks, there's a lot of mud on that road. So you may say to yourself, well, if they can't move on the road because of a bottleneck and, a, and, a, and a, what essentially is a Russian convoy traffic jam at this point because cars have run out of fuel, don't worry, they'll just off-road and go around them. No, folks, they won't. There's a ton of mud out there. I mean, the problems, the Russian army doesn't, they have to deal with problems you and I would deal with if you were stuck on a highway yourself. In the middle of the rain, 
in a muddy environment. They're stuck. Again, some good news. Not that they're not going to figure it out. Some good news. Many of them have run out of gas. Same problem you'd have if you were stuck on I-95 in a snowstorm. Eventually, you run out of gas. Finally, Jack Keane brought up another interesting point. That unlike Americans who figured out the one, one benefit to our constant war posture, posture if there is one, not many, but there is one, is that the United States has gained a lot of experience about what it's like to be in combat. A lot. Folks, there's nothing like game time. You can practice all you want in tabletop exercises. The hard reality is, unless you're on a security op or a military op, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And practice free throws all you want. Until you're in a game with fans screaming at you in a game on the line, you have no idea how that feels. We have experience. They don't have our level of experience. Jack Keen brought up the fact that instead of keeping a lane free for two-way traffic, so you could constantly fuel up the vehicles, return back, get fuel, return back, get fuel, return back to fuel up the others. That's not what the Russians did. They stacked the road three deep. Now they can't get off the damn road. This positive, does it mean the Russians are going to lose? No. Does it mean they're not going to figure it out eventually? No. Does it mean it's a huge problem? Yes. Yes, it does. More on the good news front. There have been some questions, including by me on this program yesterday, about what is going on with Russian air power. Why is Russia not using the full force of its massive air force to basically level Ukraine and protect its supply lines from the uh, Ukrainian use of Turkish drones to intercept these vehicles that are out of gas and destroy many of them? Why aren't they doing it? No, everybody wants to know. Well, there's a good article in Fox. It's in on Fox News by Matt Leach. It's on the newsletter today if you'd like to check it out. Here's one of the speculation, let me admit it right here, about, again, why the Russian Air Force is not doing much of anything to knock out Ukrainian air defenses and to protect its supply lines. Leach says uh, he's talking to a, a, an F-22 pilot, and, and the guy says, there's speculation around a lack of sophisticated precision-guided munitions and targeting pods, which allow a certain degree of standoff and to preserve range, he continued. Without those, they have to get up close and personal, which drags them to within range of things like stingers and Ukrainian soldiers who can operate on the ground. Interesting point. Their standoff capabilities are not very good, according to this guy, according to uh, because their precision-guided munitions need these targeting pods. If they don't have them, it explains why the Russian Air Force isn't willing to put their people in range of stingers. They probably don't want to start losing jets and see the Ukrainian propaganda victory. They're not stupid, the Russians. They remember, they remember what happened in Afghanistan, where airborne assets were taken out by the Afghanis using the, some of the same technology. They're not dumb. It does explain a bit why they may be uh, keeping their air assets not fully in play. Now, some more possibly good news here. Axios, again, which occasionally does a, an isolated act of journalism, it's rare. But it happens. Axios reported on the sanctions. I get it. I get it. A lot of you are going to scoff and laugh. Sanctions have never done a damn thing. And you're probably correct. They have not done much to stop uh, you know, global tyrants from enforcing their tyranny around the world. 
But they have an interesting piece here, and I want to describe it and add some color to it here. It's called Putin's CEO Crisis, Hope King. It says these financial sanctions have isolated Russia from the rest of the world. Businesses operating there have an increasingly limited ability to collect revenue or pay workers and get supplies. It says economic sanctions include export controls. They've they've curtailed imports. Some workers are being moved out of Russia and restricted airspace and travel are preventing companies from getting equipment they need to continue to operate. Listen, I get it. No Pollyanna stuff here, okay? Do I believe these sanctions are going to stop Putin from moving forward? No. Do I believe these sanctions may start doing real damage, though, in, the, in a way they haven't in the past because sanctions have not been effective in the past at all? I do, and I'll tell you why. I want to make the case here for you. Two quick points. We cannot evaluate economic sanctions through the lens of the economy 30 or 40 years ago, ladies and gentlemen. It's a completely different economy. The economy 30 and 40 years ago was not the integrated global supply chain it is now. Companies used more domestic parts, regional parts. Now, with the advent of just-in-time production, the advent of advanced global supply chains, technology and shipping and air travel and supply chain tracking, the global economies become far more integrated, which means Russia, which is a part of that global economy, those sanctions are going to have far more damage on the Russian economy than they would have 30, 40 years ago, where parts and inputs were more regional and local. That's just a fact. The sanctions globally are going to hurt more if you rely more on the globe, very simply stated. Second, the economy is obviously more digitally oriented now than it was 30 years ago. The economy is digital. Everything from payments to clearing to SWIFT, which manages bank clearing to bank processing, it's digital. It's not paper anymore. It's not paper is easy to hide. Digital isn't, especially when companies like Apple are restricting Apple pay in Russia. And by the way, I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not sure alienating the Russian population there. I'm not sure. I'm not telling you I have easy answers, but alienating the Russian population there is necessarily the path towards getting the Russian population to turn on Putin. I'm not sure that's going to work. I'm interested in results, but it is happening. And it is hurting them. Make no mistake. Russian businesses are reporting right now they can't get a hold of the supplies. What? Yeah, China's not going to play. Of course, China's going to play right into this game. They're not going to sanction anyone. But don't, I'm not, I, I'm not sure this is going to have the effect on the domestic population we think. In the good news segment here as well. Folks, there's an excellent article by Steve Miller. It'll be in the show notes today, and I strongly encourage you to read it, Stephen Miller. It's called The Ukraine Invasion is the First Social Media War, and Volodymyr Zelensky is its star. Yeah, he is. Folks, I keep bringing up this point, and I always get a bunch of negative email. Dan, Putin doesn't care about social media. Ladies and gentlemen, nobody. it doesn't matter if Putin cares or not about social media. What matters is Putin's atrocities for the first time, the first time in modern history, you have a major land war happening on on a huge scale, two enormous countries, Russia and Ukraine. First time in modern times we've seen this, where the atrocities are televised in seconds. 
You're seeing videos of his kids and what's propaganda and what's not. We're going to have to filter through that. That's why I'm hesitant to air a lot of it. But the reality is it's there. And even if it is propaganda, it's effective. People see it and it pulls at their emotional heartstrings. Understandably so. I'm not apologizing for propaganda. I'm telling you propaganda works. If it didn't work, people wouldn't do it, right? Correct? And Putin is losing the propaganda war. I say that because social media has allowed instant sharing. Remember back to the Iraq war. Joe, remember the Iraq war, CNN, the initial Gulf War one? Yeah. CNN had its people over there and you see these grainy night vision photos yep. of uh, ground to air and air to ground assaults. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's great. Not, we don't have that. Anymore. Now you have HD quality uh, digital pictures and, and, uh, and video coming out every day literally not figuratively seconds, if not minutes after an attack happens. That doesn't look good for the attacker who is also the aggressor. Don't scoff at the social social media influence of this and think it's no big deal. It is. This is the first war where an aggressor country is going to have to fight a massive public opinion battle because of places like Twitter and truth and parlor and getter and other, uh, social media, Facebook, that can put out videos in live time of Russian atrocities. If you've got a phone, you've got an embed. You're damn right you do. You're almost an intel source every single time. Yep. All right. So we gave you a large variety, wide variety of perspectives today. The good news, the bad news, people who agree with me, people who disagree with me. You're all very smart. You can figure it out, but you're entitled to uh, an honest take on this. But I want to move on. Because there's domestic news, too. We still have our own country to defend. And, folks, I'm increasingly worried about liberty here at home. The rot from the inside is deeply disturbing. The Ukrainians are dealing with an external threat. Folks, we're dealing with an internal threat here that's getting increasingly more pernicious. And people are dying here because of it. You have to ask yourself, as I show you these videos coming up, are these the people, if God forbid, we were engaged in a war for our borders? Are these the people you think would defend our country? They don't even want to defend liberty and freedom in their own towns, communities, colleges, and cities. But you think if we were invaded, these people are going to jump on the go U.S. defend liberty and freedom bandwagon here? <laughs> Good luck. After watching these videos, tell me we don't have a domestic public safety national security crisis from within. Now, Joe Biden at his State of the Union the other day, he tried to walk back the Democrat support for defund the police, which, by the way, the defund and attack the police movement has cost hundreds, if not thousands of lives around the country and will cost more in the future as police departments try to recover from the catastrophe the Democrats caused. I will never forget that ever. I am never, ever, ever going to let the Democrats walk back the apocalypse they caused in our cities by destroying public safety and letting people get attacked, killed, robbed, and let drug, the drug trade go crazy. Here is a short video from the GOP, about a minute. The video is six minutes long. We don't have time for the whole thing. I cut about a minute and 20 seconds of it. Here is a video of everyone from London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, to people like Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris talking about their support for defunding the police or moving money away from police departments, which caused a massive public safety crisis in the United States. Check this out. 
So we've been talking about defunding the police. Uh, there's some issues that we ask police to do, like mental health issues or policing in schools and all the rest, that perhaps we can uh, shuffle some of that money around. Suck it up. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. So yes, defund your butts, defund you. Yes, I support the reallocation of resources uh, from NYPD. We will be moving funding from the NYPD to youth initiatives and social services. They are talking about reducing uh, the allocation of resources to that department. And I think every single city in this country ought to be thinking about the same thing. Yes, I support the defund movement. I'm for responsible reallocation of resources and defund the police i think you do all those other things you don't need all the money that's going to the police department so yeah i mean the spirit of it i i i do support that yeah and you know a lot of us were asked if we could imagine a future without police back in 2017 when we were running for office and i answered yes to that question we are going to reduce funding in the police department and redirect that money see gretchen whitmer london breeden there kamala harris he says it's a who's who of morons. Well, I have to agree. I have to agree with that assessment. These are the people you think are going to defend our domestic public safety situation, national security situation here. God forbid something was to happen to us. These are the people you think are going to do it. They hate the country so much. They don't want you even protected in your own cities from our own criminals. No less an invasion from a, a potential foreign government. What about these people? You think these people are going to defend you? Ron DeSantis, who's a great governor, was at a, an event yesterday, University of South Florida, I believe. And there was some photo op behind him. And I guess they staged it with a bunch of kids wearing masks, which is ridiculous, ridiculous. So Ron DeSantis did the right thing. And he told these kids, listen, you don't have to wear this thing. You don't want to wear it. Don't wear it. This is all theater. You're at low risk, which is exactly what he should have told them. You want to take it off? Take it off. The media yesterday lost their minds. Guy and I were joking this morning. Joe, we were saying how there's this massive war going on in, in, in Russia, Russia with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. One of the most important issues of our time. And it only took one Ron DeSantis video for the entire left-wing media to change their mind that Putin's <laughs> a threat. And they go right to Ron DeSantis, who legit, I'll play the video for you in a second, legitimately just said to them, hey, you can take him off if you want. He thinks he came off a little harsh. I don't think so at all. We disagree, but that's fine. But the point he made was whether you disagree with his tone or not, to me, is unimportant. Well, you're in politics, so maybe it is important, but it isn't to me. I don't care. His point was a good one. You don't want to wear these things. Take them off. It's all theater and good for him. Here's what happened. The media absolutely lost their minds, went ballistic over this yesterday. Check this out. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. All right. Well, it's good to be at USF. See, uh, let me give you a little behind the scenes here. Gee and I are having a little fight over this. Number one, uh, Joe, the media, the CDC that literally said last week, like, you can move on from mask mandates in these certain places. Do you notice nobody lost their minds over that? But DeSantis says the same thing. Right. And they're like, fascist, terrorist. Yes. Uh, really? It only took a, one thing. The media, look, squirrel. They see a Ron DeSantis story. They're automatically, oh, forget about what's happening in Ukraine. Ron DeSantis is the priority right now. Here's where I completely disagree. Folks, 
I've run for office three times, okay? The first one was kind of like, that's where I met Joe. We didn't know what we were doing. I, we had no idea. Joe could probably fast. We had no idea. We'd show, we didn't know what we were doing. I was just learning. All new. The second and third race, we had a decent idea of how to operate. What happened yesterday was clear. Here's why DeSantis was mad. I don't have this from an inside source. I'm not trying to be silly or coy about it. But here's why I think Guy and I disagree. Whoever was at that university or, or high school, whatever it was, and set up that photo op clearly knew Ron DeSantis is not pro-mask mandate. Clearly knew they were young people in the photo, meaning they were at extremely low risk, and clearly knows Florida's crisis, crisis portion of the Omicron breakout is over. And they stuck these kids in masks anyway. It was probably a double barrel middle finger to DeSantis. This is what you guys don't get. They did it to make him look stupid on television. He walked in and caught it and was pissed off. Yeah. And I don't blame him. That's what happened. Those, I don't believe for a second that a lot of those kids walked in there and voluntarily wanted to wear masks. How do I know that? Because here's an interview of the mom of the kid yesterday because they were eager to make a crisis about this in Florida. The mom has no mask on herself as she's complaining that Ron DeSantis gave the son the option of taking off the mask. And then when they asked the son, who was at the event with DeSantis, how you felt, did you feel intimidated? That's not really a question, right? It's more of an answer. Tell us you felt intimidated. Watch the son's answer. He's like, ah, because he wasn't intimidated. This was a political stunt, I believe, by someone who tried to set DeSantis up. Here, watch this interview with the mom, who, by the way, if you're listening on audio, has no mask on as she's complaining her son was given the option of not wearing a mask. Check this out. I'm responsible for him, and I told him to wear that mask. And Governor DeSantis, and he's looking at this adult authority and, and he's telling him, oh, you didn't have to wear the mask. What was your reaction when you heard the governor tell you and your classmates, remove your masks? Um, a bit of surprise and shock, more of, okay, this authority, authority, this authority figure is asking me to do something that I know is probably going to end up being controversial. So I took mine off. Did you feel pressure by the governor to do that? Mm. Um, a little. They are so desperate for this kid to say he felt pressure to take his mask off. So again, these are the people you think are going to defend the United States. They are triggered by the governor just telling them, if you don't want to wear a mask, you don't have to. They're losing their minds. It's a big national intergalactic story. These are the people who are going to defend the United States. They can't even deal with a Republican governor telling them it's optional for them to wear a mask. They're going to defend us. Good luck with that one. Okay. Again, I'm increasingly worried about the rotting cancer at home. We have a significant military threat around the world and a, a, a not zero chance that nuclear weapons could potentially be used. Small, very small, thank the Lord, but not insignificant. What are we doing here? Washington Free Beacon, Adam Credo, March 1st, 2022. As Russia wages war, the U.S. Army is training officers on gender identity putting its soldiers through training on gender pronouns and coaching officers on when to offer soldiers gender transition surgery, according to an official military presentation. Uh, you know, Guy's kind enough to put up these little vignettes. This is what we're 
wasting our time on here. This is why I'm really convinced we need a bull in a china shop again like Trump, who has no concerns about re-election. They all need to go, folks. If you had anything to do with this, you need to go immediately. Our soldiers are there for one reason. You ready for tough time here? You want to put cutesy time over? You want to hear what they're there for? Our soldiers are there to kill, to destroy, and to win wars. My gosh, Dan, that's harsh. That's hard reality. Our soldiers are there to destroy and to kill things. That's what war is. That's what war is. And anyone telling you otherwise or BSing you into believing it's about hospital ships and kumbaya moments, they're completely full of, and you know what I mean. Gender identity classes. This is ridiculous. Turning our military into a social experiment. Here's the video I was talking about. Disgraceful. Out of the University of North Texas Denton, which should be embarrassed. A bunch of spoiled little fascist kids who should have been instantly thrown out of the room decided it would be a good idea. The conservative club at the University of North Texas Denton, which really should be embarrassed, invited a speaker. He was a father who lost his son or lost his child. Uh, excuse me. I don't know if it was a son or a daughter, but lost his child because the mother wanted the child to go through gender transition and the father said no. Certainly a guy worthy of being heard, right? Nope, not according to the little fascists at the University of North Texas, Denton. The liberals there, not the conservatives, who decided it'd be a good idea to storm the hearing. And there's a lot of beeps in this. And scream, F the fascist, as the guy tried to speak. And you think we don't have a domestic cancer growing here that would take this country down in a minute? You think these little snot-nosed punk loser fascists are going to defend our country for freedom? They don't even think you should be able to speak in a public forum here on U.S. soil. Want to get PO'd? Listen to this. That's a good point by Gabe. This is Yuri Bezmenov, the KGB defector who did that video in the 80s. Talking about how they, oh, the yeah. Russians understood that the United States can't be defeated by a foreign power, but it can be pretty easily defeated from within. The main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process, which we call either ideological subversion, or active measures, active мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB. Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result, the result you can see. Fertilizing a generation of fascist idiots with communist indoctrination, that's what you get. You think those imbeciles are going to defend this country? God forbid the threats at our door. Good freaking luck. They'll be the ones to shoot you in the back. Showing you again how we're eager here on the left to get suckered and corporate America plays right into it. This will be in the newsletter today as well. Washington Examiner, Andrew Kerr. Black Lives Matter, their BLM cash hoard may be significantly larger than previously disclosed, new records suggest. 
Remember the BLM grift about all that missing money? Yeah. Well, apparently there's more money missing than they even anticipated. They may not have raised 60 million. They may have raised upwards of 79 to 80 million. A lot of it people can't seem to account for. Keep it up, corporate America. Keep financing those kids like that in the classroom, shutting down speakers. Keep financing the media people who think Ron DeSantis is uh, Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers thing because he told a bunch of kids it's optional for them to wear a mask. Keep funding the people who want to defund the police, get people raped, robbed, and killed in their own neighborhoods. Keep it up, corporate America. You're doing a great job. Nice work there. I'll wrap up with this article because I addressed it in the beginning and I want to leave on the Ukraine-Russia topic. It is the most important story of the day. Here's what I was addressing with the supply lines at the beginning of the show. Remember, I was explaining to you how the northern Russian forces coming from Belarus if they can marry up with the forces coming from Crimea, the Black Sea, and isolate Western Ukraine from Eastern Ukraine, cutting the country and bisecting it in half, that there are some out there who've said, well, we still have supply lines coming from NATO countries like Poland uh, and, and from the West. Well, there's some second thoughts about supplying Ukraine even from the West. Here, it's right there. Again, I'm going to give you all the bad news and the good news. Joel Gerke, Washington Examiner. NATO's wary of Russian sabotage as Ukraine brown weapons move through Europe. Again, supplying them from the West. He says, if they're talking about the possibility of Russia targeting those supply convoys from the West, the trains on NATO territory, it really is a very thin line from calling it a military attack on NATO. Now, it's a big deal, folks. If there is a military attack on NATO soil, it's a cause for activating Article 5, which brings the alliance and Russia closer to conflict. Article 5, of course, is the NATO provision that says an attack on one is attack on, an attack on all. So I ask you the hard question, because there are no easy answers. There are bad and worse answers. If a supply line in a NATO country is attacked on the way to western portions of Ukraine, given that they've been isolated from their Black Sea supply lines from the south, and it is a NATO country supply line attacked coming from there, do we invoke Article 5? Who's party to Article 5? The United States. You want to go to nuclear war with Russia over this? This ain't a comic book, man. This is the real world. Hard questions ahead. Bad and worse. All right. Tough show today. Tough show, but it's tough times. And uh, there's no time for us to back away. And I really appreciate your listenership and viewership. It's been uh, unprecedented. Uh, Joe's given me numbers that are just we haven't seen since the election. So thank you for trusting us. We promise to get you the best information and avoid the propaganda war here as best we can. Uh, please check out my Fox show this weekend. It'll be live again Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we've got a lot of great guests. Um, also, I'm trying to get a guest on about that vaccine story, about the damage from the Pfizer vaccine. I'm trying to get a medical guest on. I think we have one. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, so check that out Saturday night, 9 p.m. Unfiltered. I appreciate it. I'll see you on the radio show later. You just heard Dan Bongino.